You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve, and Lease Plan. Right, speaking of community and evolution and shifts, this year has been a great example of the sort of shifts that markets can go through, changes in buy habits. Uh, sentiments and so on. And so market research is just one of those vital kind of partnerships to any relevant business. But it's always seemed a little bit old school until Yebel came along with an agile, smart and cost-effective platform to connect customers with brands and to allow for more engaged insights. Please welcome to the stage co-founder and COO Rachel O'Shea, who is stepping in for CEO Catherine Topp. Thank you, Andre. Uh, and thank you, Robert. I am going to fail abjectly at moustache growing this month, but I uh, will not make my husband shave his off for a wedding we're going to this weekend. Uh, so a great message. Uh, delighted to be with you today. Uh, as Andre said, uh, my name's Rachel. I'm the co-founder of Yabble. Uh, we're a market research business. And man, have we had a whole lot of change this year. Um, I don't know about you, but in my house, we've uh, gone back to having dinner at the table. We have more time together. Uh, we've changed the things that we do at home. We've got a puppy, the most overwalked uh, animal in the country, obviously. Um, but everyone's doing something differently. And um, I wanted to talk to you today about how consumers um, are changing their views of data and actually why we as businesses should all start to be consumer data champions. So I'm going to share with you a few insights we've uh, uncovered throughout the course of COVID uh, and how things are, have moved on a little bit. So, look, you guys are all in business. You all know the value of data to business. Uh, your businesses are all working really hard to mine data, to get extra value, to drive improvements in what you do. Uh, Accenture report recently put the value at data likely to be in $3 trillion by 2030. Look, they could be right. They could be wrong. It could be triple that. Who knows, Right. But data gives us a lot of opportunities. I always like this stat. It talks about, you know, the big five. Uh, they are 10% of the US market cap, plus or minus, depending on uh, whether it's an election vote coming up today or tomorrow. Uh, but they only employ 0.5% of the employees. If you go back 20 years, when you had General Electric, you had the petrol companies, you had others, the, the stretch between valuation and employee numbers was a lot different. So people are using data and not people to drive great insight. And I think Andre spoke to it before when we talked about Netflix. Um, I love this one, being a, a former marketeer myself. The Netflix talks about using data in such a way that they actually create 33 million individual versions of Netflix. So the customization, the algorithms that they use to serve you things you might like to watch. Uh, it's all driven by data. Uh, and data scientists, um, gone are the days of marketeers and teachers and lawyers uh, coming out of university. Um, one of the great stats in the US recently was about who uh, are being most employed, uh, what are the jobs that people are looking for when they're thinking about career choices. And a data scientist was the leading uh, job from 2015 to 2019 in one of the big HR studies there. And that was based on how much they earn when they start working, um, job satisfaction and love, um, and the value that they add to organizations. 
So anyone up for a career change, consider data science. Uh, if you're interested, 2020 was a software engineer, so uh, in case uh, science is not your thing, maybe consider that. All of that has been really progressive, right? There's so much happened in the world of business data, the mining of data. If I fast forward 10 years in businesses, the data scientists will have done a brilliant job. They will have mined all of that data as hard as they can. They will have optimized algorithms to service the right products, the right services. Our onboarding experiences will be amazing. Then what are they gonna do? Because you'll get to a point of diminishing returns when you only look at your own customer data. There's only so much you can learn from your own customers. What happens when you want to do customer acquisition, when you need to go and find some from the market? You need the same level of data from people you don't have that data from. So how are you going to get it? And that's where you start to think about how we can change the data paradigm to get consumers to work with us to share data. So at the moment when I talk to consumers, and I do this all the time, we talk about how do you feel about data sharing? How do you feel about data privacy? Uh, we've got the Privacy Act changing in New Zealand in December. Um, it's going a very small distance compared to some of the other global standards. But New Zealanders talk about, you know, 88% of them talk about uh, their data being shared with a third party without their permission. It's concerning. 80% of New Zealand consumers say businesses make it hard to opt out uh, of receiving information or their data being shared. Lack of transparency, lack of control. When I talk to people about, I can go and buy pieces of data that you don't even know about, it's not even on your consciousness. If I want to buy banking data, I can go and buy it. I don't get your PII, your personally identifiable information, but I could go um, and say, Robert, go, I'd like to buy some data about men in New Zealand aged between 30 and 50 uh, who live in Auckland. And I can go and buy a chunk of their banking data. It's about $15 a pop, right? That makes people furious that data can be bought and sold without them knowing about it. And that's just one example. So what's happening is that governments are legislating in favour of consumer rights when it comes to data. Uh, you'll all be familiar with GDPR, I'm sure, um, CPPA, so the Californian uh, Consumer Privacy Act, goes a step further when it comes to consumer rights. And it's just a little thing I want to share with you, because I think... If you start to think about how we could change the paradigm and be better data holders and recognize co-creation, then some of this legislation is a really good reminder for us. So under this legislation, what is PII? It's suddenly a lot broader than your name, your address, your mobile phone number. It's actually your biometrics. It's the geolocation data that comes from your mobile phone. It's your search data. It's a product that you purchased, when you scanned a loyalty card and that was tracked as a, a purchase that you made, that's an actual piece of personal information. That's quite a long way forward from where we are in New Zealand, right, today? Um, it also requires consumers to be able to see all the information a company holds on them. So if I don't know, if I wanted to go to a supermarket and go, hey, what did I buy in the last 12 months? I want to change my shopping habits. My income's changed after COVID. I need to kind of get a grip on stuff. Live, give me my data so I can analyze my own purchasing behavior and maybe make some changes. If you're an organization, how hard is that for you to do right now? It's probably really, really difficult. Uh, but think about it. If you built a system over time that let people do that with you and you provided them analytics and you helped them to understand what they were doing, you could serve them up better suggestions or help them kind of use their data in a way that was useful to them and to you.
Um, businesses must allow consumers the choice on whether to share their data with third parties. So can I on-sell your data without your knowledge? No. So people must be aware. So back to that banking example, that can't happen under this sort of legislation. And imagine this. Businesses must provide a full list of all the third parties data has been shared with. Who did you sell it to? <laughs> and suddenly there's a whole lot of uh, other information you've got to provide, right? So the reason I'm sharing boring legislation with you all, um, and I find it very boring to read, is that it's kind of showing where in the world consumer data and data trading and data ownership is going. You've seen GDPR, you've seen this. New Zealand's behind that, Australia's behind that. But you take that and you overlay it with how consumers are feeling right now and the sentiments that we're seeing coming out of COVID. You know, consumers, and we did a lot of COVID-related studies, um, we learned that wine is now a noun. Uh, we also learned that consumers are really keen uh, to support and use products that are New Zealand grown. Uh, they're keen to reduce, reuse, recycle. We saw that 54% of them talk about making an active move to conscious consumption and changing what they purchase based on the brand. Uh, you might have seen Kogo recently was in the news, coming home from the UK to New Zealand. You know, that's a brand that allows, or an app that allows you to look at where you've made your purchases and look at the environmental and sustainable kind of credentials of that business. Then you can make a vote with your wallet because there's another shop just down the road that actually compares more favorably. You go there instead. So we are becoming more aware of the choices that we make. And so as a business today, we can go, you know what? We don't have to do this. Legislation doesn't make us. But what if we said, hey, uh, consumers, we want to work with you on data. We want you to be co-creators. Um, we want to recognize you um, as a person involved in this transaction. Because right now it's the data holders that use the data, the data holders that commercialize data. Uh, and it's not the consumers who get the benefit of the data they help to create. So I'm really passionate about seeing how we can change that paradigm. Because if we don't, there's a real risk that we lose brand trust. You know, Facebook gets beaten up all the time. And, you know, fair play. They, they don't always get it right. Um, Cambridge Analytica, we all remember it in 2018. You know, the day after Cambridge Analytica broke, Facebook's share price went down $36 billion. It dropped 7%. That was their market cap. Uh, Pre-Cambridge Analytica, Facebook was a brand that had 80% trust from consumers uh, after 29%. Fast forward a year, the 18 to 29-year-old segment in America, 44% of them deleted the Facebook app. That's a massive growth segment, a really valuable consumer set, and they walked away. And that generation is some of the most ethical, the most values-driven um, of our generation, right? And they're all valuable shoppers that we need to think about. So Facebook got it wrong. Uh, if we fast forward to last week and when all of the, the big tech companies were giving stock market updates of the big five, Mark Zuckerberg was by far and away the most pessimistic about the business outcomes for Facebook in the next 12 months. So they've lost a lot of trust, uh, and trust is really hard to get back, right? You make one mistake, a significant mistake, um, and you can really be lost. So we think about consumer data, we think about uh, if we openly share with consumers their data, we openly recognize it, and actually, most importantly, we openly reward them for it, then we're in a collaboration situation, we're in a co-creation situation, and that's a far more positive conversation to have with your consumers about data.
So we really want to change that paradigm. And look, it's been happening for a long time. Uh, the gig economy, you know, consumers now gig their driveways with Parkable. Uh, they dig their spare rooms with Airbnb, when people are visiting New Zealand, obviously. It's gone down a little bit recently. Uh, they can gig their money with things like Harmony. Uh, and part of the reason we are so excited is with Yabo, our business, we want to help them gig their data as well. So we recognise consumers as co-creators of their data. We let them join that data up and bring it in together so we can get, in the research world, a far richer view of people. Uh, so I might shop at Mitre 10, um, at Vodafone, at New World. Each of those brands has a view of me as a customer from the data that I give them. But you know what? If we joined all those pieces of data together, you'd know a lot more about me. You'd know more about my preferences, maybe the level of brands that I like to buy within those different categories. Uh, you'd know more about my spend. Uh, you know what I'm likely to react to when it comes to advertising. So the more connected we make our data, um, the better the insights we can generate. Uh, and that's what we're doing. We did some stuff through COVID, um, a lot of stuff actually. We worked very closely with foodstuffs, right? So everybody ran out of toilet paper, um, had got far too much dried pasta, um, and shopped a bit differently. So we saw that 32% of New Zealanders now write shopping lists. They never used to. 170,000 New Zealanders shopped online for the first time during COVID, the very first time. And a lot of them were in that 50 plus age group. So suddenly the baby boomers know how to shop online. Holy shit. That's lethal, they've got money. Uh, so we're going into a recession, we've got this group of people who can now shop differently. Uh, QR codes, uh, we all suddenly worked out what they were for. Um, as advertisers and marketers, we stuck them on posters 15 years ago, hoping people would scan them to look at another ad. It didn't happen. But now we know the power, the ease of how these can be used. Uh, we recently ran a project for a, a brewery in Australia, and they wanted to know more about how effective their advertising was in social, which is, you know, it has the ability to kind of convert to purchase was tough. So they ran some activation. They said, hey, look, um, we're doing this free beer giveaway down at one of the local pubs. Um, if you see this ad, head down there, tell them about it, and they'll give you a free beer. So then we did some QR codes in the bar. You just went up, uh, bought yourself a beer, you sat down at the table, scanned a QR code to go, hey, did you see our advertising? Is that why you're here tonight? Or did you just happen to fluke it and you're in the pub when we're giving out free beer? They answered a few questions for us, and then they got to take that up to the counter on their phone. They got another free beer. Now, I'm not advocating giving away lots of free beer, um, but we're showing that QR codes can be put onto uh, in outlets. You can put it onto packaging. Uh, CUB, who's this particular brewer, um, have 50% share in Australia. All the 18, 24-year-olds are not drinking beer anymore. They're all drinking spritzes and salsas and uh, sodas. Um, so they put QR codes on a couple of new MPD launches. They wanted to be far more agile in their feedback. Uh, so people who bought the beer scanned the code. Uh, the brewers had one set of questions on flavour and taste. The next production run, they looked at how they could optimise the flavour of that beer. Super, super quick. The marketeers could look at who was buying it, what was motivating them, and tweak their social advertising really, really quick. So the way that we're collecting insights, oh, and by the way, they got a voucher to buy more beer. Um, the way we're collecting insights and using data is really starting to change. So I guess um, in summing up, Consumers are co-creators of data. You know, we do stuff every day. In the hour before I came here, I talked to Siri to get a phone number. I booked some appointments. Um, I used Parkable to kind of park, or park mate to park my car in the car park. I created a lot of data. 
you know, be a consumer champion. Think about in your organisation how you can be more transparent, how you can work with your consumers on data, because ultimately you can commercialise it together and you can build their trust and reputation um, and they'll be loyal with you because they can trust you with their data, they know how it's being used. Adds a lot of value. So thank you very much. Um, good luck to those of you who are horse racing fans this afternoon. Um, I hope you've all got money on the, uh, the race that stops a nation. Andre, thank you so much. So you're talking, you're talking about the insights that you've been able to get this year and that kind of shift in our awareness of how our data's been using, like I watched Social Dilemma the other night and had a freak out, hit away my daughter's iPad, all that sort of stuff. But is Facebook, and I know that Mark Zuckerberg is pessimistic, but are they really going to let that go? Are they going to allow this paradigm shift to come through and, and let us use our own data? Oh, look, there's businesses who have been built on owning data, so... Facebook, I'd say no, um, because that's probably how their business model started. It's how they um, make their money today. Um, but that's one example. I think there's a lot of other businesses out there, charities out there, companies out there, who you might change your revenue model, but what you get instead is still some revenue, but you get more connectivity with your customers, you get more collaboration, you get more trust. And those are all intangible values um, that in the long term can add a lot of value to what you do. So it's not all about the dollar for mm. me when it comes to consumer data. I think you've got to recognise um, how it does. And if you don't, legislation will push you there. Yeah. So don't, don't get pushed there. Being pushed there by legislation is really negative behaviour, right? If you want to be seen, you know, back to that whole, um, you know, consumers and particularly the younger ones, they want ethical companies. They want people who are transparent and honest. These are values that are we're seeing in all of our data that are growing exponentially, mm -hmm. um, then be in the forefront of it. Don't wait to get pushed there. Now, you've created this kind of paradigm-shifting company out of New Zealand. You've gone, you've gone global with it. You've raised capital this year throughout. In COVID, know, buddy. Don't I do know. that, by the way. It's a terrible <laughs> idea, everybody. Yeah, but was there any hurdle? I know that there are hurdles in terms of COVID, but was there any hurdle being in New Zealand? No, I didn't see any hurdle in being New Zealand. Um, and part of that had to do with the fantastic lead investor that we had. Uh, and Rob and Hillfront's Capital came out of the US. And they had a, a much broader remit um, and a much wider view of the world. Um, but look, brand New Zealand's on a real up right now. Mm. Uh, if you look at how we're viewed internationally, um, for the way we've dealt with COVID, for you know, the attitudes and the innovative spirit that we have, um, I think as a Kiwi company right now, it's an advantage. Um, and we really need to leverage it. We're doing some really smart, really good stuff. We're getting some great talent back into New Zealand. People are coming home. Um, I was sitting next to uh, Andrew at our table. He's, he's back in New Zealand for the first yeah. time in a long time. Um, brilliant, smart Kiwis uh, are helping to add to our businesses. So no, now's a great time to get out there and disrupt. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of touching on all of these silver linings, but is there any, this is a really broad question, but is there any low-hanging fruit that you would ask businesses to think about in terms of, like, opportunities that are right there to grow market share, to grow, you know, to grow the business? Gosh, that's a tough one, because <laughs> that depends on which category you're in, right? Um, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is um, this real dichotomy. We're going into a recession, right? There's a hard economic reality right now. Um, you know, 84,000 uh, New Zealanders are on mortgage deferrals. It's about 9% of the deferrals, I believe. You know, there's a whole lot of delayed effect coming. We've got the people who have got disposable income and have more of it. Their jobs are secure. They're travelling less. Their debt is low. Their asset base is high. 
Those are an opportunity. If that's your target segment, now's a great time to go and acquire those people. For those whose disposable incomes are dropping, um, they're changing their behaviour and how they shop. You know, 12% of people have changed the supermarket they used to shop at and moved to a cheaper one in the last six months. You know, things are changing. Um, so it really depends on who you're trying to talk to. But I do think there's opportunities out there. Even those who are spending less, they're still spending. Mm. So it's about how do you add value to those people? How do you, you know, help them prepare for 12 months in the future? How do you give them value for staying with you? Mm. You've got to think about who's, who's kind of in the position they are when it comes to the disposable dollar. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure, you. Andre. Thanks, everyone. You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November, 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve, and Lease Plan.